Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to the Daily Kofefi. Today is, I don't know, Friday, January 17th. Uh, welcome to Unsafe Space. My name is Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma, who is, it's not her fault she's late this time, so give her a break. Carrie Smith. <laughs> Thank you, Carter. How do you, how do you know it's ever my fault? Although, yeah, today, definitely. I assume me. that you were being <laughs> relatively truthful with me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Today, yeah, but today definitely was not. I'm just saying those other times might not have been either. You don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I know. Okay. <laughs> I've worked with you long enough that the other times were your fault. Uh, um, just yeah, to answer somebody, a quick somebody, question in oh. chat. Yeah, I've never actually, I think I might have read Fahrenheit 51, but I don't remember. So uh, that's why uh, I, I don't know how long it will actually take, but I think, I think so. Um, Carrie... Uh, oh, wait. I was going to say somebody else was late, which is why I'm late. And I got to experience what someone else being late is like. It's annoying. Yeah. It's particularly difficult if you have like, I don't know, say a board meeting right after that. And, <laughs> and the person is like waiting and waiting and postponing and, you know, it happens. It could theoretically happen is what I'm saying. I'm not sure it's ever actually happened in real life, but you know, you just imagine that. Um, a, a quick uh, a quick note to the audience. Look, when I made the intro song, yes, I'm a nerd enough that it doesn't bother me. I made it mostly to test. I've been too busy to find other f like royalty-free music that would be funny slash whatever hold music. If someone wants to find royalty-free music that they prefer better, send it to us, and uh, I'll stick it in there. But um, I just haven't had time to do it. So you're stuck with portal music and only Andrew Thompson really understands me in chat. So, uh, well, that's somebody broke an umbrella requested country hold music, which I'm on board with. I think we should find a country song. <laughs> you think, well, get a royalty free country song that could like be the thing about that little stupid clip is it can be looped. So it like goes forever. Um, mm -hmm. but Although maybe just songs back to back would be fine. Uh oh, <laughs> Genevieve K Nitz already hates our whole music, and the she is so upset about the idea that it would switch to country that uh, I don't know, Genevieve. You have to tell us in chat which is worse, uh, portal music or country music. <laughs> no country. You guys, okay. I know we're gonna get to serious stuff, but just let me say something quickly about country in defense of country music. Even the bad country music is good. Some, some like what? Uh, okay, bear with me. There's the good country music, like old country, like Patsy Cline, Johnny Cash, you know Willie Nelson, like all the really good country, um, the honky tonk, all that stuff that you don't hear on the radio very much. But even the really bad country makes me laugh because it's so funny. Like, like there's this popular song called um, "I Want to Check You for Ticks." <laughs> And it's like I just want to be clear. This is where you're going with your argument. Yes, because it's so funny. Because the chorus is all about like I see you at the bar or something, and like I don't I don't ask you the same lame pickup lines that all the other guys do. I want to take you to a field and run through a field with you, and then I can check you for ticks. <laughs> oh my god, like, that's a real song on the radio. And there's a nut. Wait, one more. Oh gosh, what was the other one I heard? Oh, it's called. Uh, rain is a good thing and and this the chorus is uh rain makes corn corn makes whiskey 
whiskey makes my girl feel frisky. <laughs> Rain, it's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't like to use the term white trash, but it's, fu- it's funny. <laughs> Look, Carrie, uh, what I'm here, I just want to reflect back to you what I'm hearing. Okay. What I'm hearing is that if one likes country music, there are literally no standards. That's, <laughs> no, that's, that's not what I said. <laughs> All right. But thank you for letting me make my point. <laughs> <laughs> anytime. Anytime. <laughs> All right. Um, Epistavist says dark country music is fine. I don't, I don't know, Epistavist. It's uh, maybe I've not, I've not heard a lot of dark country music. You'll have to share with us. But um, we didn't come here to talk about country music, did we? Mm-mm. So we were. We said yesterday we would talk about uh, the Virginia demographic shift, but something changed after that. Um, Carrie, I always like when Carrie gets really riled up about something. It's one of my favorite things about Carrie is when she gets angry, because um, she gets like really. She just it's she doesn't let go, and she just goes all in and yells at people, and it's great. Um, so. Uh, we're going to go with something that Carrie got Carrie really riled up yesterday. If we want to talk about shifting dem- Virginia demographics, we can do it another time or later or whatever. But uh, Carrie, do you want to introduce it? And I actually have it. I can pull up on screen for people if they. If they yeah. Want. Will you pull it up? I want to read this. So, yeah, switching gears. I was the country music talk put me in a good mood. Now, now we're going back to this. Um, I did get really upset about this yesterday. <clears throat> For a couple of reasons. There it is. So, There's what you got upset about. Okay, so this is an email that a friend of mine online shared in a private group. And he shared some things before about his kid's school. But um, this one is, I think, the worst I've seen yet. And he's understandably livid and trying to figure out what to do. This is a all, all I'm going to say because he's still anonymous Unless he changes his mind, I'm not going to say who this is, and I'm not going to name the school or the teacher. I'll just say it's a public Brooklyn preschool. These are this is this is a preschool teacher. We're talking about someone who's teaching kids who are like four years old. Okay, this is an email she sent to the to the students. Please excuse this very long email. I wanted to give a thorough description of what this project is about and how I approach it in the classroom. Please do read through it when you have the chance. And of course, let me know if you have any questions or concerns. I will also say upfront, this is something we are just starting to explore in the classroom. So most of what's in this email has not been discussed with your children yet. To, to be clear, I added the highlights and did a little formatting so it's readable. So that's not her highlight. Cool. I wanted to reach out to you and give you some background and details about a curriculum I am starting in the classroom. This curriculum is centered around the Black Lives Matter week of action in schools, which happens in many cities across the country in a week in February. This year, the week is February 3rd through 7th. We are starting to talk about these ideas now as we approach Martin Luther King Jr. Day and as we prepare to go into February Black History Month. (coughs) Sorry, I had to sneeze. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what mute is for. That's that right there. That's why we use mute. Sorry. The Black Lives... (laughs) Sorry, the Black Lives Matter Week of Action in Schools was started in Seattle and has spread to many cities and came to New York City three years ago. The Week of Action can take many forms, especially depending on age group, demographics, and school community. The central idea is to celebrate the 13 principles of the movement for black lives listed below and to draw attention to the national demands also listed below. 
pay, pay attention to that word demands, guys. Remember we've talked about this before. SJWs, act, they're always making demands, just like terrorists. Um, anyway, the principles of the movement for black lives are a perfect place to start learning about these ideas, even for young children. I am lucky enough to work at this wonderful school where we strive to help our students understand the complex world around them and think critically about how they can participate in improving it. Okay, so the, remember the Jonathan Haidt talk about, about how there's e you're either of the, the John Stuart Mill school of thought, which is that education is about the pursuit of truth, or you're from the Marxist school of thought, which is that education is about uh, changing the world, about turning people into little activists. So that's what that is right there, how they can participate in improving it. One of the and, ways. And I by the way, I, Carrie, wait, I, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you. Go I just want to say this. As a parent who's been uh, spent a while looking around at schools, even, even hoity toity private schools, but also public schools, like everything around in the Bay Area, um, the John Stuart Mill approach is uh, extremely rare. Um, it's almost all the Marxist approach uh, where the purpose of education is. Um, to change the world for the better. And of course, that begs the question, according to whose standards and values? And you know the answer is always the crazy leftists. But that's all I want yeah. to say. According to their ideology. Yeah. Um, okay, one of the ways I do that in my classroom is by exploring the 13 principles of the movement for black lives. The language I use to explain each of these ideas is listed next to each principle. Please note, I will not be discussing police brutality or current events with the class. These issues are obviously too traumatizing for this age group. I love how there's something that she <laughs> says she won't discuss with the four-year-olds. Yeah, uh, facts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> instead, we work to celebrate black lives and learn about how to treat each other. The third, okay, then we move into the 13 principles of Black Lives Matter. And now, again, this is such a new, Black Lives Matter is a very new organization. And to have this in the schools, it, it's, as if it's as if it's something as if it's not ideological in nature as if it's something neutral um is just astounding to me that yeah you're, they're using your four-year-olds as guinea pigs yeah i was gonna say let's remind people that this is this is pre-k that we're talking about um so and also no matter where you stand on political issues I don't think one could argue that Black Lives Matter is not a political movement. It's a clearly, it has an agenda that's not necessarily aligned with everyone in every community. Like that's, it's pretty clear that it's not, it's not, you know, Black Lives Matter isn't science matters. Let's teach facts or let's teach, you know, two plus two is four. Black Lives Matter is an agenda, is a movement with an agenda. That's undeniable, I think. All right, let's let's go back to this. Okay. Okay, here are the 13 principles of Black Lives Matter. We know that if you hurt someone, oh well, first it says restorative justice, okay? There's the word justice. We know that if you hurt someone, you have to help them feel better. You can't just say sorry and walk away. We also know that it's important for kids to be able to make a better choice another time, and it's grown-ups' job to help them make better choices and to give them chances to do that. Another way to say that is restorative justice. Empathy. So, wait, 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 wait. Can we stop on okay. restorative, yeah. or restorative yeah. justice for just a second, Carrie? Um, mm -hmm. I want to point out something that um, she's doing here. She's using and obviously she's trying to use analogies with these kids. By the way, I'm assuming this teacher's a she. 
Uh, I don't know if that's correct, but pre-K, I'm going to guess. Um, she's trying to use an analogy, and the analogy she uses is when you hurt someone, you have to help them feel better. You can't just say sorry and walk away. Um, well, I mean, it depends on how much you hurt them. I mean, like if you mistakenly bump into them at the airport and you're late for a plane, you can't absolutely say sorry and walk away. If you seriously hurt them, then yes, you need to stay and help them. No one would disagree with that. Um, but if you'll notice, the example she's using is all in the context of individuals and justice with respect to one individual's relationship with another individual. That is not how the Black Lives Matter movement uses the term restorative justice. What they mean is this group, this collective of people, certain members of this collective of people hurt certain members of that collective of people 150 years ago. Now their descendants of this collective over here must restore by sacrificing to this group, this collective over here. All the individuality is gone. So the because because uh, preschoolers are naturally going to think in terms of collectives, they're they're naturally going to think in terms of individuals, uh, because that's you know that's how you're wired. Um, she needs to use an example that the kids will relate to on an individual level, level, when in fact, that is not at all what restorative justice is. Restorative justice is, hey, if um, you're my pre-K class, 10 years ago, my pre-K class did something bad to the last teacher, therefore, you have to make it up to me. That's what restorative justice is. And I think if that's how it was explained, the kids would realize how utterly unjust it actually is. Yeah. All right. So from from the uh, comments, I just want to say um, a couple of great points. Denzel says, let's take the one age group which really doesn't see color and explain why that makes the white ones bad. And then Knit Fragility says, yeah, my four-year-old has just started, barely started to notice the difference in skin color. Now we need to teach him to only look for that and treat them differently. And then Maria Tuscan says, four-year-olds could care less about skin color. Teaching them about this will only make them think that perhaps there's a reason why black lives don't matter as much. It's awful. That is exactly that last point there by Maria. I just want to highlight that and underline that and emphasize that because that's exactly the problem with this crap. It's, it's like uh, the equivalent of, it's the stuff we talked about before where they are flooding the schools with all of this nonsense about like girls can do math too. And you know, science is for girls too. And, it, and I am right. so glad I didn't grow up in a time when I heard that, BS because I might have stopped to think wait a minute is math not for girls like is science not I never got the message it wasn't for girls so I didn't need to be it 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 does the opposite of what it claims to be doing it plants this idea in everyone's heads that girls need extra help and girls need to be uh coached and encouraged and pushed into science and math and and it makes you wonder what came first like why was there this attitude that's not that's not the way to end sexism. If there's still ideas out there that are sexist, then that's not the way you're reinforcing them. This is reinforcing racism. Or resurrecting it, like perpetuating it where it doesn't actually exist, right? Yeah, it's resurrecting it. It's like, um, like we've talked about before when BuzzFeed and others do these stupid lists of like, you know, 15 words you didn't know were racist. And then they tell you these ridiculous, they make these big stretches to try and come up with some etymology for the word way back in when that nobody knows about it's like well thanks for just making those 15 words racist again if assuming that you're correct that they used to be they're not anymore but you've just made them that way again like that's what this crap is four-year-old yeah. 
Look yeah. at your look at your fellow classmates and divide them into groups based on their race and sex. Like that's yeah. what they're telling kids to do. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And you know, it's been pointed out anyone with kids knows this. Uh your kid doesn't actually see color. Um I know that sounds weird, but like the kid does not grow up looking at people in terms of what race they're in. They just don't. Um, I mean, maybe if you're a racist teaching your kid to do that, but they don't. That's not how they view the world. That's not how they view their friends. That's not how they view other kids at school. They don't do that naturally. So this is this is introducing uh, racial collectivism in a way that uh, certainly a four-year-old just hasn't contemplated yet. And you're right, Carrie. They will exactly say, well, gee, I didn't know there was a question about whether black lives mattered. I guess there yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. So All right, uh, let's... one more comment from the uh, from the chat just quickly was mm-hmm. um, Denzel says, if you see the Sarnovich movie hoax, it's striking that the BLM guys who started it are ordinary, decent blue collar guys and their movement has been hijacked by blue haired white women. Um, hoax by Sarnovich is a great documentary. I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen because I think the subject matter is so important. And is really well done. And yes, he features, I'm blanking on the guy's name. I think it's Hank Newsom, or if somebody knows, correct me. But I think his last name is Newsom. And he's one of the Black Lives Matter leaders from New York. And he's awesome. I will say, not all of them are. There's some of the other people who quote unquote started it, who are, um, uh, there's a few black women from California who I know through a friend. It's, I, I don't know them. I know a friend who knows them and has been doing a documentary with them and whatever. Those women do not have good intent. Those women are the ones who went on the town hall and uh, uh, with Obama and said, we need to abolish the police. And I mean, just to me, just like crazy, it was just crazy talk. But anyway, yes, there are some BLM people with very good intent, just like there are SGWs with good intent. It's just that the movement gets hijacked by the people with ill wishes, the people who are using it and abusing it for power. Yeah, that's my I, opinion. I agree. I, I liked that guy on the but and hoaxed awesome. I like that guy. I do want to just point out though that the entire movement, even that guy, um, there he was based. Even though I, I agree with his intentions were good, he's basing his conclusions off of false narratives. Um, and I spent, I spent a, like an hour and a half, two hours last night, actually verifying data for myself so that I could be sure of this. Um, and I can pull it up if we ever want to talk about it. But uh, the narrative that blacks are disproportionately shot by police officers or disproportionately um, uh, like mistreated is false. Um, it's a false narrative. The data does not bear it out. Um, in fact, black police officers are more off, like more likely to shoot black uh, uh, perpetrators than than white police officers are. Uh, based on data that we've collected. And if you account for criminality rates, um, blacks are not, they are not more likely to be shot by police. So it's a false narrative. Even the good people are pushing a false narrative. And I I don't think they know any better. I don't think, I I don't think they're doing it intentionally. I just want to be clear. It is a false narrative. It's false. Well, should I say the word false again? Yeah, there was uh, the Harvard study that came out, and that was a guy who, I'm sorry, I'm eating peanut butter. Uh, this guy. Podcasting guy, 101, don't eat. Don't, Podcasting 101A, especially not peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
care. Okay. I'm done. I'm done. It was a Harvard study. I'm blanking on his name as well, but you can look it up. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, he, not, keep he, going. He did a study because he, and he fully thought that the data was going to support the narrative of, of, of um, black people being more likely to be targeted with lethal force by police officers. And what he found was the opposite. And it was reported in, surprisingly, in, in the New York Times, it was, it was reported in a couple of different legacy media outlets, which I thought was shocking. And of course, um, he's a man of color. He didn't know he was going to get this result. That's, that's what you call science. Like that's the pursuit of truth is when you get a result that you don't like and you still put the evidence out there and say, this is what I found. But then of course he was attacked from all sides by people trying to, you know, sully his reputation because he, he came out with a study, but yeah, I don't know about that one, but I knew there was a criminologist at the university of Pennsylvania, Dr. Greg uh, Ridgway. Um, he did a study in 2015 where he, he found, I think that, uh, black police are like three times more likely to shoot a black suspect. Um, also, if you just look at, I looked at this last night, I looked at the report directly, the department of justice report in 2015 about the Philadelphia police, which is one of these, um, you know, flash pans for this kind of activity. Philadelphia is one of the cities that uh, is often used as an example of, of police brutality. Um, the, again, just looking at this, black officers were 1.68 times more likely to shoot a black suspect. Hispanic officers were 2.46 times more likely to shoot a black suspect. So, um, yeah, that narrative is false, and we but can see, get into other stuff, but yeah. SJWs, man, or the, the people that they convince with the false narrative, man, those people love to cling to the negative. Their view of things is so dark, and they want it to be dark. And you would think if you dispel something like that with evidence that they would they would be pleasantly surprised to say, oh, the world's not as bad as I thought it was, but they're not. They get angry. They want the world to be as bad as they think it is. It's, yeah. it's like that C.S. Lewis quote, you know. But um, anyway, so let's let's continue. We, we, we can, yeah, we can move on. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put this up and we can move on. All right, so we did restorative uh, justice, Carrie. It's very small. I can't see it. Oh, wait, now I can. That's my fault. We did restore. Okay. Empathy. It's so important to think about how other people feel because different people have different feelings. Sometimes it helps to think about how you would feel if the same thing that happened to your friend happened to you. Another way to say that is empathy. Loving engagement. It's so important to make sure that we are always trying to be fair and peaceful and to engage with other people, parentheses, treat other people in parentheses with love. We have to keep practicing this so that we can get better and better at it. Another way to say that is loving engagement. So, Carrie, can we just pause for just a moment? I don't have a big problem with the empathy message. That's not a message that I would say uh, BLM embodies. They certainly don't seem to have empathy for people who with uh, disparate opinions. But uh, what she's written here is fine. Like, yes, it is important to treat uh, people with, with empathy. Um, empathy is not the only uh, tool that you should use the only metric, but it is important to have empathy. So I'm not actually opposed to that one. I don't know how you feel, but that that's fine. No, let's move on. Um, but I, and loving engagement, uh, fair and peaceful, engage with other people. My only problem with this is again, she's going to be talking to clearly. She's going to be talking to students about this in the context of individual to individual, and that's not the that's not the way in which Black Lives Matter will use 
um, this language. They will use it for, as like community to community um, and, o- across time. So they will use it in a collectivist way. Anyway. Diversity. Different people do different things and have different feelings. It's so important that we have lots of different kinds of people in our community and that everyone feels safe. Another way to say that is diversity. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about this, except that, of course, as we know, they don't care about the diversity that actually matters, which is diversity of opinion and thought. If you disagree with this document and with her email, I guarantee you she's not going to say, yay, diversity of opinion. Let's get to it. No, all she's talking about is quotas, like diversity of the least important things about people, which is what they look like, their race, their sex, their sexuality. Who cares? Um, yeah, I, and and you know, just looking at this language, Carrie, she says it's so important that we have lots of different kinds of people in our community. Why? Why is that so important? That's not said, and actually, that's false. Also, it's not so important. Um, it's fine. It's just not so important. Um, and you've seen studies like by Robert Putnam, who again, one of these researchers who expected to find the opposite that actually diverse ethnicities and diverse racial groups in communities um, does not cause community cohesion. It causes um, more distrust uh, even even among people of the same ethnicity in that community. So um, the idea that we're supposed to take diversity as a thing to be celebrated um, is just false. There's not this is this is not true. This is just a talking point that they like, but it's not actually backed up by data. I'm not saying diversity is necessarily bad in all cases either, but it's certainly not some. It's not the end all, be all, which is obviously what they're. <laughs> Who to was push. it that said um, every group needs a clown and a serial killer and a you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yes. That's yeah. a diverse group. <laughs> yeah. Where's the guy who kicks puppies? We don't have one of him in our group. We need that guy. Right. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Right. Let's move on. Well, the next one's a good one, Carrie. The next one's a doozy. Okay. Globalism. Globalism means that we are thinking about all the different people all over the world and thinking about the ways to keep things fair everywhere. I don't think so. Do you have anything to say about this one or or no? No. You don't? No, I don't care. I'll let you. I know what you're going to say. It doesn't matter. Oh, what am I going to say? Well, no, I mean, I don't really care. I get it. I have a problem. with. Glo- There's things in here that I have a bigger problem with than globalism. I guess I'll put it that way. So I'll let you. T- yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I, there are things I have a bigger problem with than globalism, although globalism is um, globalism is so <sighs> the West is unique. The idea that there's a freedom of speech, freedom of religion, um, freedom of assembly, right to bear arms like that's a unique those are uniquely american values america is a unique place in the world and one of the things if you want to destroy america one of the things that you have to do is to start indoctrinating kids to start thinking about um everything like uh everything as equal and like well the people over here with this different belief system is they're kind of equivalent to us and we kind of all have to we're all kind of the same in some way and there's really no differences between what we believe and what they believe there's just some preferences there's not like moral differences between them and and you also have to make sure that the people in the country that you're you're raising little automatons in this nation who will not protect this nation you don't want to raise kids if you're a leftist you do not want to raise kids that will fight to the death to protect western civilization 
And the way you do that is by teaching them very young that there's nothing special about the U.S., that there's nothing special about the ideas, and that there's nothing special about Western civilization. So instead of this being, if you wanted to teach a, a global perspective and empathy across the globe, you could teach things like, not everyone has the right, the, the presumption of innocence. And some people have to live in societies that are backwards and evil, where they're presumed guilty instead of presumed innocent. And we don't have that here. And that's one of the things that makes us special. And if you care about those people, maybe you can advocate that they change their systems of government or teach them to have better values and uh, better political and societal values about how to treat other people. That's what actual empathy is for people around the world. This crap is not empathy for people around the world. This is tearing down of what makes America morally superior, and I don't mean in every way, but I mean basic things like the freedom of speech, uh, individual rights generally, right to a speedy trial, right, innocent until proven guilty, all the things that we cherish that are not cherished elsewhere in the world. In fact, in many places in the world, they're not even thought of. That's all I wanted to say. Cool. Okay. Oh, sorry, Carrie. <laughs> uh, Sometimes I rant also. Okay. Uh, transgender affirming. Everybody has the right to choose their own gender by listening to their own heart and mind. Everyone gets to choose if they are a boy or a girl or both or neither or something <laughs> else. And no one gets to choose for them. Uh, wait, let's just do these two together. Queer affirming. Everybody has the right to choose who they love and the kind of family they want by listening to their own heart and mind. Um, so these two here, uh, the, can you put it back up for a second? Oh, sorry. I, I was trying to show people your face. Oh, hold the on. transgender affirming part, uh, everyone gets to choose if they're a boy or a girl or both or neither or something else. Everybody has the right to choose their own gen. So this again, just like, just like Black Lives Matter, this is a really radically new uh, theory, the gender theory, this, this idea that you get to choose and that it's subjective and you can change your mind every day and you can be one or both or neither or something else and that it's entirely, it's not based in reality, it's just based on a whim. That's new. And to be teaching four-year-olds this, this is why we're seeing... Um, there's the lawsuit in Canada that Barbara Kay was covering where the parents are suing because their daughter came home from school, their daughter who had never had any issues with gender dysphoria or any questions about her gender came home and became and, and started questioning, am I really a girl? I, I learned that I might not be a girl. Right. Oh my then, God, I like hockey. Am I really a girl? Am yeah. I really a girl? But then also questioning the reality of other things. Because if this thing that I believed is real isn't real, then what about this other thing? Is this real? It, children, especially four-year-olds, are looking to adults to understand what's real and what's not. And this, to me, is the most evil thing in the entire document, is this idea that you can just be a boy or a girl, whatever, and, and, that, and the assumption with no medical data to back it up, no science, nothing to back it up, that, the, that it's affirming to tell children this, that it's a positive thing to tell children this? No, you're using those kids as guinea pigs. We're talking about something that 99.9% .9 of children, of four-year-olds, have never had to grapple with, have never had a question about, have never had been through that, and now you're introducing this to them and saying, you need to figure it out, you need to answer this question, four-year-old, are you really a boy? I know you. I know you're a boy biologically. Well, we're not even gonna, we're not even gonna say that. We're not even gonna talk about biological. Are you really a boy? Figure it out, right? Like 
most four year olds have net in the history, you know, of our country, of our, of our species have not had to grapple with that question. And now you're making them do it. And you're, and to jump to the next one, queer affirming, why are you talking about sexuality with four year olds at all? Why are you, why are you that that's, they're not sexual beings. They're four. So well, it's just yeah. it, that to me is wholly inappropriate for the grade. I mean, all the, of this is totally inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about this, and someone pointed this out in chat, but these have literally nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. They have nothing to do with, I mean, they may be Black Lives Matter points, talking points now, but they have nothing to do with the origins of the movement. Let's assume that the uh, let's assume that the narrative that uh, BLM was founded upon, which is is basically that there's excessive police violence against uh, black men, particularly unarmed black men in cities because of racist white cops. That's the narrative. Um, it's false, as I've mentioned, but let's assume that it's true. That has nothing to do with transgender affirmation, queer affirmation. This has nothing to do with anything. Um, so, well, that gets to Nicole's question. Nicole says, why is this shoehorned into BLM stuff? Right, and that pessimist answers correctly. It's all part, I didn't see his answer, but I'll answer it because it's all part of the same ideology. They're making our point for us. It's all the same thing. Right. Everybody, we, people tend to look at, they come into contact with one part of my old belief system and they're just looking at that one little part. This is why when we did the episode, Carter and I did the episode on trans activism, the other live episode, we ended up naturally talking about SJW ideology, not just in trans issues, but in race and in gender, because it's all the same belief system. And they're gonna slide this crap in wherever they can. Frankly, I'm surprised there wasn't a lot of stuff about um, sexism in here, except for the fact that the transgender part of the movement is cannibalizing the feminist part of the movement. So maybe that's why you don't see as much about yeah, I was like, gonna say, stuff. Yeah, I, I think that's the reason, right? There's not, there is no, um, there is no feminism anymore. It's all morphed into transgender activism. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, and you know, the transgender affirming thing, Carrie, uh, it's not even just that there's no evidence to suggest that it's good. There's evidence to suggest that it's actually quite harmful. And the analogy that I would use is cause, cause you know, four year olds, even older kids don't have a lot of context and nuance. Like things are nuanced. Um, even this, even that discussion as straightforward as it may seem to us is, is more nuanced than a, a child can handle often. Um, a four year old. Imagine telling a four-year-old, hey, um, this thing that you think you see, right? Um, this thing that you see every day, your dog, whatever it is, maybe something even, let's just, just use your dog. Your dog that you think you see every day doesn't exist. It's not really there. The dog is just a projection of your imagination. Like, start telling them that their visual senses are incorrect. Um, can you imagine how much, like, what psychological damage that does to kids? That's kind that of how I view this transgender affirming crap. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I cut you off, but just uh, that their dog can be a cat, that or a bird. Yeah, right. it's, yeah, or it's a, not really there, or it's not really yeah. a dog. It's secretly a monster, or a bird, or a dragon. I mean, it's not even a bird or a cat, right? Because that would be something else that could exist in reality. It's secretly a dragon. It's secretly an alien. Right. Um, and imagine how that would would upset a kid. This is actually worse because you're saying this fundamental thing about you that you thought 
was you. You thought that this was part of your identity. Like you have two hands, you have feet, um, you have whatever color hair on your head, whatever it is, they're telling you that this fundamental thing that you thought was very obvious about you is not true. Um, yeah. and, and you have to choose it. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty devastating. Someone just wrote, you've stolen my childhood, which is funny because I felt like saying, how dare you? But really Somebody it is that. said that earlier. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we read, um, one of the books in our unsafe space book club. Actually, the first book we did was brave new world by Huxley and, uh, Tamara in chat just brought up this point, which I was thinking of as well. It's, it's a great point. She says, in Brave New World, a process called hypnopedia is used to teach moral and ethical lessons. And for those of you who haven't read the book, this takes place in a dystopian future where they've figured out how to make us all equal and happy. And, you know, this is like a SJW topia. Um, and one of the things they do is all the kids at night get the hypnopedia. It's, it's a, a whispering. It's a little sound thing in their ear. And it's, it just repeats these mantras all night. And so... Everyone's in a different uh, identity group, if you will. There's the alphas, the betas, the gammas, right? They and they, depending on what group they're in, they hear different things at night. But they're getting these moral lessons at night, and they're waking up, and this is imprinted on them. And so she's making the comparison here and says, uh, uh, "This is intentional emotional imprinting of children before they learn any other worldview." In the Brave New World, the director explains how moral education works by saying, "Quote." Moral education, which ought never in any circumstances to be rational. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Tamara, do you have like a photographic memory? Because I love it that you bring this stuff in. Like, that's awesome. Um, she's, she's got a great memory. Um, yeah. And then Knit Fragility also made a callback to that book and said, when they start talking about educating queer theory, I start thinking about the erotic play in Brave New World. And that's another good point. In Brave New World, for those who haven't read it, they... One of the things they do for young children is they they force them to engage in erotic play, like sex play with each other. Um, the idea being that they're learning at a young age, uh, quote, we all, be everybody belongs to everybody is what they teach, um, which we've started to see in this belief system now where they're basically saying, hey, if you don't like, if you don't want to date a trans person, then you're a bigot. Right. Like you, everybody belongs to everybody. You should be you should have to F that, you know, you should have to have sex with this person you don't want to. Or you should have to be in a relationship with because otherwise you're bigoted. It's that same idea. They in, in the book, they're like everyone belongs to everybody. So they break down any idea of possession or discrimination. You know, you choosing everybody naturally discriminates. And, and we hear that word and we think of we hear only. I think people have such a uh, specific connotation to discrimination, they forget that the word has a more broad meaning. Um, it's a very positive you, meaning. You ought to be discriminating in your life You ought to generally. be discriminating, right. There's another meaning that people don't think of. And it's like, you know, if you choose to eat, if you choose to eat protein in the morning instead of fruit shakes, you, you've made a discriminating choice, you know? You're, right. You've chosen the protein. And like, whatever your choice is, you're choosing... And, and so to pretend like we don't, that it's not a natural thing, you should be discriminating. Now, I'm not saying treat people differently because of race, not at all. In fact, I completely oppose to that. So for anyone who's determined to hear me wrong, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there is nothing wrong with having preferences and who you date, this idea of like teaching children at a young age about sexuality and um, 
I even think to go back to some of that stuff in there about empathy and other people's feelings, I think that's laying the groundwork for, for the brave new world stuff, which is like, well, think of their feelings. What, if you don't want to have sex with them, what, how might that make them feel? (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Anyway. No, I, you know what, Carrie, I just want to, as someone who's been against collectivism for 20 some odd years, uh, I want to point this out. Um, there's nothing more collectivist. I mean, there's literally nothing more collectivist than the idea that everybody belongs to everybody. And um, that is, like, that's a, just a great description of collectivism as such. Everybody belongs to everybody. And, you know, a lot of people don't see this until it gets to the point where you're applying it to sexuality. But I'm just going to make this point and move on. We don't have to argue about it. But my wallet, my choice is the same thing as my body, my choice. It's the same thing. If, my, if, if everybody's stuff belongs to everyone else, then everybody's body parts belong to everyone else. Your, your things that are your, your personal property is yours. And as soon as you start collectivizing things, it doesn't end until you've collectivized, you've collectivized sex, you've collectivized everything. Because your property is, is an extension of you. It's something that you worked to obtain and acquire. It's a product of your labor. So, you know, this collectivist idea is not new at all, but a lot of people just don't notice it until it goes totally over the top and it gets to people saying like, well, um, we should have redistribution of sex because, you know, the ugly people aren't getting laid enough right? That's, that's what collectivism is. And if you learn to see it, you see it everywhere, not just in this. This is just a very obvious thing. This is just a very obvious example of it. All right. Uh, somebody, uh, Episcopus in chat mentioned John Money. If you guys don't know who John Money is, definitely look him up. He's one of the architects of this idea of um, you know, gender identity and being able to change your, your gender and your sex. And yes, he forced children to have sex with each other as part of his treatment in turning in helping a child to adopt a new gender identity. This guy is like cited in academic stuff. This, this evil monster is cited in academic papers. And well, then there's this a relates lot to what we were saying before. Yeah. Why they do this, Carrie, is it does undermine. Ultimately, it undermines the family, and it un- and like the family unit is a threat to uh, collectivists generally because you get ideas and attitudes that are not uh, put there by the state coming out of families. You get stability out of families that um, isn't provided by the state. So ultimately, to destroy family, this is part of destroying families. And I know that sounds like a religious point. Just as a reminder, I'm not religious. I'm not making a religious right argument, um, but it is an attack on the family. All right. Let's keep going, Carrie. Yeah, Ninja Kitty, by the way, says there's a horrible story there if you look it up. The the two of the kids he experimented with ended up committing suicide. Um, I mean, that's not anyway. surprising, right? That's horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Let's continue. Let's go on back to the email from the preschool teacher. Uh Collective value, everyone, there's the word collective, by the way, collective value, everyone is important and has the right to be safe and happy, no matter what they believe, where they come from, or who they love. Another way to say that is collective value. Now again, this is where she's saying one thing and I guarantee you practicing another, just like the diversity thing above. Uh, She says, no matter what they believe. Try pushing back on this and saying, I don't believe any of this and I believe this is harmful and evil. 
and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'll, also, yeah. I, I hate to be nitpicky here, but it's important because they they choose their language intentionally, and this is how they slide concepts in that don't belong. Um, you do not have the right to be safe. You do not have the right to be happy. You have the you have the right to not have force initiated against you, but that doesn't mean you'll be safe. You could get cancer. You could die in a thunderstorm. You could fall off a cliff. There's no right to be safe. That's not a that's not a metaphysically possible thing. You can't have a right to be safe. The word right to be safe, those two phrases, that doesn't go together. You also don't have a right to be happy. There's no right to be happy. You have the right to pursue your happiness, um, and that's recognized in. Um, in the founding documents of the US, but you don't have a right to be happy. So um, those are those are the kind of feel good things that if you're not paying attention to what words actually mean, yeah. you gloss over really easily and you're like, oh yeah, safe and happy, that sounds good, people have a right, that sounds great. You do not have a right to those things. It's impossible to have a right to those things. No one, like, you don't have a right to anything that requires anyone else to do something for you. You have a right to have people not do things to you, to not harm you, to not shoot you, to not attack you, to not steal from you. But you don't have a right to make, you don't have a right that for someone else to provide something for you, to make you feel good, to keep you safe. That's not your right. I agree. And you made me think of this morning, a friend of mine, we were talking about happiness and peace. And he was saying that, he's like, I think that most of the U.S. has what I call the Veruca Salt Disorder. <laughs> you guys remember in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? <laughs> Where it's like, I want it, and I want it now. And I think a lot of people, that I you have a right to be happy. And like you said, no, you don't. You have a right to pursue happiness. You don't have a right to have, like, I want to be happy, and I want to be happy now. Well, good luck with that attitude. <laughs> right, and think about how ridiculous it actually is, just on a metaphysical level. Like, I want, like, I have a right to be happy, and I'm not. Okay, well... Am I mad at the universe for not making me happy? Like, whose fault is it? That's why right? they're always looking outside of themselves, because they think they have a right to be happy, and <laughs> life is suffering, and they haven't accepted that. And so they're always looking for someone to blame. It's like, whose fault is this? It must be the white man. Or, you know, <laughs> it must be Western society. Or it must be God. Actually, tr truly, I think a lot of SJWs are just really angry. I say this as a Christian, and you don't agree, but I think it's anger at God or the universe or just the... Like Peterson talks about, just ang angry at the concept of being. No, of I, I totally agree with that. Exist. Just to be clear, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 No, and and uh, life isn't just suffering, though, Carrie. Life is also happiness. Like life is a mix of stuff. Sometimes it's suffering. Sometimes it's other stuff. Some of it's in your control. Some of it's not. You could get cancer, and that will make you unhappy, presumably. Uh, and that's not in anyone's control. So. I just the reason I the reason I'm pushing back on this is uh, they love to use the word right to mean anything except for what an actual right is. Yes, so, they want right. to take away your actual rights. <laughs> yes, so they're like, oh, I have a right to uh, freedom of speech. No, we don't recognize that one, but you do have a right to feel happy, which is impossible to fulfill. Right. So, right. yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Epistavus, you have a right to a billion dollars in a diamond-encrusted jet that runs on panda's blood where you fly around snorting cocaine along with your harem of women. That is your right to have I, all of I have a right to join him. Oh, apparently so does Andrew Thompson in chat. Great. 
Uh, <laughs> so stupid. It's a party on a pistivist plane. Um, <laughs> all right, let, let's keep going. <laughs> okay, let's go back. Um, okay, intergenerational. It's important that we have spaces where people of different ages can come together and learn from each other. Another way to say that is intergenerational. Black families. There are lots of different kinds of families. What makes a family is that it's people who take care of each other. It's important to make sure that all families feel welcome. Let me just do these last three together. Black villages. Okay. There are lots of different kinds of families. What makes a family is that it's people who, who take care of each other. Those people might be related or maybe they choose to be family together or take care of each other. Sometimes when it's lots of families together, it can be called a village. Black women. There are some people who think that women are less important than men. We know that all people are important and have the right to be safe and talk about their feelings. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a problem with intergenerational, uh, but the black families and black villages thing is interesting because they are not addressing what they're okay. We've talked about this before. One of the single biggest indicators of whether or not a child is going to be successful in life or to struggle is whether or not they grow up in a two parent home or not, you know? So that's one of the single biggest indicators. Again, it doesn't mean that you can't be successful when you grow up in a single parent home or you know, it, in a, another type of situation. It's just saying that it is much easier and the data shows and it's more, it's more of a predictor of how you're going to do than your race or your class or your sex or sexuality or any of these other things. The biggest indicator of how successful you're going to be is if you grow up in a two parent home or not. And so what's happened since the 1950s is that, um, the, the rate, the two parent home, the number of two parent homes has declined significantly and it's declined across the board, you know, for white families, black families, but it's, it's declined significantly in the black community. And they never more so in the black community, just to be clear. Yeah, Yeah, more so in the black community. And they never, they don't want us to talk about that, which I find to be um, for for an ideology that claims that claims to care so much about quote unquote marginalized people, they seem to have zero curiosity about figuring out why and how to fix this one thing that is such a big indicator of a child's success in life. They don't care. And so these two little parts here to me seem to be in here specifically to uh, preemptively avoid any discussion of that, of that uh, statistic and to also um, to justify it and to make it to normalize it. They use the word normalize a lot to normalize it as if there's no intrinsic value. There's no more intrinsic value to being in a, a home with two parents on average than there is to being in a single parent home as if to say, there's no difference at all. And, and again, we're speaking of averages here on average, there is a difference, you know, there are outliers and there are exceptions to that rule. Absolutely. But on average, there's a difference. And there, this is like an attempt to preemptively say like, it doesn't matter. Right. And you know, one thing we have to do is not just criticize each, like we can talk about each thing they've got here, each term and, and what, what we think about it. Some of them fine, some of them not. We also have to remember these are selectively chosen terms, so this is what they're choosing to focus on. And if you're, if you care about Black Lives, uh, we have to presumably, if you care about Black Lives, title of the movement, Black Lives Matter, 
these must be the 13 most important things, right? This is, these are their 13 items. Um, and so, uh, like Carrie's saying, one of these things you would think would be, uh, fatherless homes is a problem in the black community. So like maybe the importance of dad would be an item on the list, right? Uh, of like, Hey, it's important to have dad at home. Um, maybe the importance of, uh, of, of like autonomy, like supporting yourself, like being able to uh, take care of yourself and not rely on the state, right? So someone in chat points out, I don't know the time period they're talking about, and I'm not 100% sure of these numbers, but they sound correct based on what I've heard in the past, um, that the, the no black heads of family have gone down from, uh, from uh, gone up from 24% to 74%. It's a crisis in the black community. And, and um, we know it's correlated to criminal activity. We know it's correlated to um, a lot of problems in the community. Like Carrie mentioned, it's correlated to ch children's success. Um, so it's odd that they left that out, right? That they, that's something that's important actually. And instead what they replace it with is this idea that like, Families really, you know, this definition, families have nothing to do with kids. It's just families are a group of people who take care of each other. So let's not, let's not say one family is preferable to another one. So, you know, go ahead, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and also black villages are a different kind of family. So basically I, I see that as kind of shorthand for saying like, hey, when the government comes in and hands out checks to a community, you're all kind of part of the village and you're a family, right? It's kind of inserting uh, non-families into this definition of family because they need to kind of, er again, this is it's about eradication of the family. Um, and if I were, I mean, I'm angry about this already, but if I were uh, a black person, I would be livid about what the government has done to the black community over the past several decades. And some black people are. You hear Maj Ture talk about this. Um, like there are some black people who are livid. I think Walter Williams has talked about it. Um, or maybe it wasn't Walter Williams. Uh, Larry Thomas Elder. Soul. Right. Thomas Sowell. Yeah. Right. But it is. And, you know, well, that that's a good point because I was about to say, this is this is especially condescending, I think, in, in a way, too, towards uh, black families because they're they're putting they're putting this in here as if this is like innate to black to black families, right? Right, black families are always part of some village to like because they yeah they are they're they're making it sound like black families can't be expected to be self sufficient or or that black families like they they had they had two parent homes in the fifties. It's sort of like as if that's not to be, you know, that's not innate. It's not natural. It, you know, it, it's sort of, that's so condescending. I don't know. I, fi yeah. I find, a, I, there's a lot wrong with this. And then the, the last point. Well, wait, wait, um, well, you didn't do black, you did black women. That's, but... that's what I mean. I'm going to that point now. Oh, oh so you are. That, okay, good. That one is a separate point in my mind because that one is specifically here. We see finally they bring the sexism part in. Some people believe I can't, it's not in front of me. I can't read it again. Oh, but hold on. Some, I'll put it in front of you. Some people believe that women are less important than men. This is what I talked about earlier about them inserting stuff into little kids' minds. Um, I'm, again, I am so glad I didn't grow up reading crap like this as a little girl. Like, women are less important than men. You know, I didn't read this kind of stuff until uh, college, which is when I started to, coincidence or not, but I started to carry this huge chip on my shoulder that I was this victim of oppression. And it hurt me walking into 
uh, meetings. It hurt me. It hurt my self-confidence going, you know, as, as I continued in life because I bought into that garbage. And imagine if I bought into it when I was even younger. So there's no reason to put that in. A, some people believe that women are not as important as men. Yeah, you know what? Some people believe that men are not as important as women. A lot of people believe that. Some people and, believe in Xenu, the like evil yeah. overlord came down on Earth hundreds of years ago and injected people with, uh, what is it, uh, uh, antifreeze and, you know, started a religion. Like, people believe all crazy things. Yeah. But, it's, but there's no reason to insert that specific thought in anyone's head. Why not say it the other way around? You know what I mean? It's like you are creating the sexist world that you want to exist by putting, then planting this in the minds of four-year-olds. Hey, four-year-olds, guess what? You live in a sexist patriarchy. Well, and Why think about how traumatic that is for, for a kid, right? Yeah. Because now you're, you're telling them to be scared of something. Oh, there's boogeymen out there. Here's the boogeyman. Um, when there really aren't that many, there, I'm sure there's some, but there's crazy people all over the place. But they're 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 traumatizing kids by saying there's boogeymen, um, and you know the fact that they have to mention it as one of their 13 points means it must be a huge problem. There must be a lot of people who think women are less important than men. It must be a hell of a lot of That's people to, to hit their top 13, right? That's what I mean. Is it implants it in the idea of children, and it creates the very friggin' culture that they say they're fighting against. It's like it wouldn't exist if you guys didn't keep selling it to children and to people. Like, quit selling it. Quit believing in it. You believe in it. And, and they want it to exist. Like I talked about before, they want things to be as dark as they think they are. They can't stand it when you push back and show them facts that dispute this stuff. They hate it. They want the world to be awful. It's just like all this crap with Iran. A bunch of my SJW friends were all, World War III is going to happen. And then World War III is not happening, guys. And are, they're upset. They're disappointed. <laughs> they wanted there to be a World War III so they could be mad at Trump. Do you know what I mean? Like, they yeah. want the world to be horrible. That's when that Nietzsche quote that means so much to me about becoming the monsters you fight, that's when you become the monster you fight because you are wishing for the darkness that you claim to be fighting because that darkness gives you meaning because you don't have any other meaning. Yeah. I'm fighting the darkness, so it better be dark. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would argue that a lot of these people are fighting precisely because they're dark. But um, yeah, I mean, Knit Fragility points out something else that I uh, hadn't thought of, but this is addressed to four year olds. Right. And Knit Fragility says what four year old thinks anyone is more important than his or her mother. Like, that's absolutely true. Like, if you've ever had kids again, like when they're four, mom is everything. So not only are you saying that. Uh, like you're introducing this generalized concept that people think women are, are less important than men. You're also saying like, hey, there's a bunch of people who think your mom isn't all that great, kid. Um, it's like, it, it's, I imagine it's traumatic. I don't know. All uh, right. Genevieve, Genevieve says, uh, my experience was the opposite of Carrie's. No one ever told me I couldn't because I was a woman. Or if they did, I didn't listen. So whenever I met resistance, I just found another way around it. Well, that was my experience until college. I had the same as you until college. I didn't grow up with this crap in my elementary or middle school or high school about like girls. People don't like girls, but you know what? Girls can do science too. Like I, thank God I didn't. I went to a science and math high school. I don't know if I would have been able to get in there if I had grown up with that messaging because, because um, I would have started to doubt myself. And you know, I didn't learn it until when I got to college and I was, a, I became a women's studies minor and then I learned it and it totally affected the way I thought about myself 
in retrospect, like it severely handicapped me. It made me think of myself as a victim, like a special, like, like, like we talk, life is suffering, right? It makes you think that you are unique in your suffering. Yeah, I, I, I by the way, I like to push, like, I don't think life is, uh, I don't like when people say life is suffering because that's not all that there is to life. Life entails suffering. Life right, is not it, just suffering. It's not just suffering, but I, I like that quote because it means it's inescapable. You will suffer. It, it doesn't mean that that's all it is. Of course not. And I, I tend to be from uh, the Peters, Peterson. I tend to agree with Peterson about like the meaning of life being about figuring out a purpose and meaning that makes suffering worth it. Like that really resonates with me. But, yep. um, but you're going to suffer and it's not because you're some unique victim of oppression and, you know, because you're, oh, I'm a woman and therefore it's, that's why life is so hard for me. It makes you start to look at just the normal struggles of life that everybody deals with through this lens of oppression. It's like they tell you to put on these glasses. Everything is because of race and sex. And then you start to see it everywhere and it's not there. And you build this friggin' boogeyman. And you, yeah. in my case, depending on how impressionable you are. I severely handicapped myself because I would walk into rooms second guessing what people thought about me. Oh, they must think this or they must think that because I'm a woman. Hey, I've you been know, told or, that people don't like women, so must you right. Know. It yeah. was uh, there's a quote. Uh, somebody says life is pain, Highness. I don't know what that's from, but that is from Princess and, Bride, and it is an awesome oh, movie. Oh, I love and, the yeah. Princess Bride. I didn't yeah. recognize the quote. Well, there's another awesome movie called The Long Kiss Goodnight with Mr. Samuel L. Jackson and Miss Gina Davis. And there's I, a scene I know in that. It. Where are you going with this? There's a scene in it when Gina Davis, she has amnesia, right? And she used to be uh, like a CIA like hitman or something, and she doesn't remember. Yeah. And there's a scene in it where she's she's in a new life, and she's got a daughter, and she's raising the daughter, and then her old personality starts to come out in little pieces. And there's one part where her daughter is like ice skating and falls and hurts herself, and Gina Davis is like, life is pain, like her old her old. <laughs> <laughs> she, she yells at her little girl. It's like life is pain. Get used to it. <laughs> so, it's a good. It's a similar quote. Life is pain, Highness. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. Um, do you want to do the last one here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's move on. This is a long email. We're making it longer. Uh, unapologetically black. There are lots of different kinds of people, and one way that we're different is the color of our skin. It's important to make sure that all people are treated fairly, and that's why we and lots of other people all over the country and world are part of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, this is a this is a I'm, I, I have to point this out because if it were important to you to make sure that people are treated fairly, I don't think that you would be in a group that focuses on race in this way. Like, I just don't think you would be. That's not the well. Again, it's an individual them. versus collective fairness. Their, her, yeah. her fairness idea is is based on collectives, right? Yeah. So. Um, okay. Can we move on, or you want to say something about that? Uh, no, no, no. We can, we can move. Okay, on. I want to finish up a bit. Oh yeah, it's uh, been a long one. Okay, I'm just going to power through the last part so we can talk about. It. I know these ideas seem big for pre-K, and some of them are, but they also fit right in to what I am working to teach our class every day. Oh goody. <laughs> Some of you may also be wondering why this is important at a school with a predominantly white population. <laughs> One of the ways that I address, by the way, who wants to put money on the fact that, who wants to put money on uh, the, what are the odds that this teacher is a white woman? Oh, um, okay. I think she is absolutely a white woman. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways that I address this is by using the idea of windows and mirrors when we are reading books. When we read books, we look to see if the books are windows or mirrors. Windows are books that show us a world or experience that is not like our own. It could be that the main character is of a different race than you or that they live in a different place or are dealing with a problem you've never dealt with. Mirrors, on the other hand, show us something that reminds us of our own experience. Many books can be both windows and mirrors and demonstrate the ways that everyone has commonalities and differences. Something that we talk about slightly less in the classroom are the national demands. (laughs) The national demands? These involve some more adult ideas. These do? (laughs) Yeah, because transgenderism wasn't really an adult (laughs) idea, Carrie. That's just, that's for kids. Uh, And being in queer theory, that's, yeah, hey, four-year-old, who who might you want to have sex with? That's definitely, uh, that's less of an adult idea than what we're about to read. So so show us. Right. These are some more adult ideas. Oh, gosh. There's more adult things coming and might come up occasionally in our conversations in small ways. But there's something that I really address in my activism work outside of the classroom. Thanks for telling us what we already knew, white lady. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to know more, please let me know. The national demands. Hire more black teachers. Okay, so quotas. So not based on merit then. Race is all. Got it. Counselors, not cops. Uh, end zero tolerance. Mandate black and ethnic studies K-12. That's a really nefarious one there. Because that's basically saying mandate this whole SJW ideology. Like everything we're talking about, make it mandatory. Yeah. Again, apologies for the very, very long email. I know this is a great deal of information and probably a lot to process, but I wanted to make sure that you had the resources to talk about these ideas with your children at home if they come home asking to know more. Please let me know if you need extra resources or if you'd like to talk more about any of these ideas. You know what I'd like to talk about if I were a teacher? Oh, I'd have a lot to say to you. (laughs) I mean, if I were a parent, I'd have a lot. Well, look, as... As a parent, I can recommend if they come home asking about these ideas, keep them home. Yeah. yeah. What would you say as a parent, Carrie? Well, I'm not a parent. Uh, I, 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 so I don't know. I, my natural instinct upon saying this yesterday was just expletives. And, um, I think that's a healthy response. And I, I became livid. And, here, and here, so here's the thing. We've heard from lots of parents. Um, who are coming into contact with this in different ways. And we also know of a couple parents who are pushing back in, in their own way, right. And different, different levels of pushback. And so this friend, I put him in touch with two of those friends who are parents who are pushing back and we're trying to put him in touch with a third. And oh, I forgot to tell uh, you, the third says, yes, you can put him in touch. Cool. So go ahead. So we're going to put him in touch with that parent <laughs> who's suing um, their, their school, which I, I mean, I would, I would investigate if it were me. Yes, I would make, I would do whatever I could to get this out of it. It wouldn't be enough to take my kid out. I think I would be, I'm angry enough. I would want to make this school stop. But so I got livid yesterday and I don't have kids, but I've, somebody asked, is there a resource? Is there a place for parents to go to learn about this stuff and to trade notes and to hear from other parents who are dealing with it? And I was furious because I'm like, these, these parents have nowhere, where are they going? This is why I got to, there's nobody's helping them. And so we're going to try and start something. I know this is early and totally, but I'm saying it now so people hold our Yeah, I, I, be careful, Carrie. I've already okay. got stuff going. So let's okay. be careful. I don't want to promise. All I'm saying is, I, look, I will say this, and whether we do it on an unsafe space or I do it on my personal website or whatever, I just want to start, 
I don't, I'm not, I'm just being vague about it. All I'm saying is that I want a place where parents can meet other parents and, and share notes and talk about this stuff and compare notes and figure out what's the best way to push back. That's it. It's a virus and it's everywhere. And, you know, we've spent, I actually have an interview in the can with the parents talking about his lawsuit with some stuff going on here. He just doesn't want to put it out yet because, uh, it could affect his lawsuit. So we're kind of sitting on it. Um, you know, it's something that I experience a lot. My, my, you know, my daughter goes to school half time. She, she actually provides me material. She brings home, she's like, look up this book, look up this thing that we're there trying to teach kids. So it's wow. all over the place. It's all over the place. And what, where is this school, Carrie? Is it in Texas where you are? No, this is Brooklyn, New York. This is Brooklyn. Okay. Not, not exactly a, uh, red state, but still, um, yeah, it's and pretty, if you it's pretty if horrible. you guys want to send us tips, um, I put this out there and look, e- email us, speak at unsafespace.com. If your kid will will protect your anonymity, wh- whatever. If you want to share with something, share something with us and let us know about what's happening at your kid's school. Feel free to contact us. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah. one more thing, since you said you like when I'm in a ranty mood, can I add one rant? Sure, add a rant, add a rant. Okay, okay. When I shared this yesterday, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't my best self in the comments on my post uh, because, and he, but here's why. <laughs> There's this guy who responds like, I'll bite. I don't really see anything wrong with this. And I'm like, uh, I'm speechless. Are you, aside from it being an indoctrination into my old belief system, which is identity politics based Marxism, you don't see anything wrong with it. It's, it's teaching this framework to four year olds of this is the best way to view the world. Even if you thought identity politics based Marxism is peachy, which I don't, I think it's evil. But even if you thought it was peachy, it's not the job of the public school to teach your kids which glasses to put on to look at the world. Well, do you was, think he might have been a troll? No, here I know him. Here's the thing about him. Oh. This is why I got so mad. He's not if it were a clueless person who doesn't understand what this belief system is and it's the first time they're hearing about it because we've talked about this before. How do you talk about this with people who've just come into contact with part of it? There could legitimately be a bazillion people in there saying, "I don't understand why do you have a problem with this?" and I would have not reacted the same way. This is a person who has come up against this ideology in the one thing he cares about, which is films and movies. And in fact, we met because SJW ideology infected the film world and he was excited to find someone who was defining this and explaining what it is. And I've actually met him in real life since then. And so we, so he opposes the influx of the social justice ideology, the, the infection into the film world. Is that what yes. you're telling me? Okay. Yes, and he's, he's not afraid to be vocal about it in the film world because movies are super important to him. Film is super important to him. It's his passion, whatever. Um, but he doesn't he have hates, kids, probably. No, he doesn't. And he hates the way that it's infected. the. He cares about awards shows and all that stuff. Um, and he hates the way it's affected the awards shows and everything. However, I've, I've been in conversations with him before about this, and I don't, I don't care if he's listening because I think you need to hear this. You're a coward. You are a coward because you know what this belief system is and you're too afraid to trace it back to its roots and see where it starts. And that's why I got so angry at you because 
you know what it is and you're, you're chicken, you're a chicken and you want to pretend like it's not as bad as it is. It, every once in a while he'll pop up and kind of be like, you know, everything isn't infected with this. Oh really? It's just your movies. It's just your movies. It doesn't, you, you can't step outside of the thing you care about to see. This is much more important. This is affecting four year olds. And I'm supposed to care about which, which movies got awards this year and your right. stupid outrage about like, it is much bigger than the little part of it that you feel safe criticizing. And you know you're a coward. He you has to know he's a coward. That, I mean, that's, coward. that's pathetic. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm still angry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, it's fine that you're angry. You're, I love your rant. It's a good rant. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. but don't don't come in saying, like, I don't understand. Like, and having me explain it. You know what this belief system is. Get over it. Like get over whatever that is that's holding you back from being completely vocal about the same person. He'll post stuff like, does anyone else ever have something they want to say about uh, a movie that they thought was good? And then they see a bunch of other people criticizing it and they realize they probably don't know enough to say what they, or they, that their people are probably smarter than them, didn't like it. So they hold their tongue or just, I can't remember. It was some, it was some post about being a coward. And I look, I understand I was fearful for a long time. But you're just admitting online that you are afraid and that fear holds you back. And I'm, I'm at a point where I guess I don't have as much empathy as I should. I should engender more empathy. I need to sit down. A friend told me and was like, you need to remember what it was like when you first started changing. Because it's been long enough now that I'm tired of, I'm tired of cowards. <laughs> are you going to become a, uh, a grump like me? No. Are you slowly just going to become more like less and less tolerant and more like screw them all? No, most days I'm still <laughs> empathetic. In fact, I woke up today thinking I should apologize because I told him to f off. <laughs> but but given how I'm usually Laura Laura came to my defense. She's like usually Carrie's very patient, and I try to be. But yesterday this topic made me so mad, and I was like, I don't have time to play this stupid game with you. This is for parents. This is for other parents who need to see this, who need to see what's happening in the schools and who need to know if it's happening in their school. It's not, they're not the only one. And, and for parents who aren't aware, this is a wake-up call post. Maybe find out what's happening in your kid's school. You know what I mean? I don't have time to talk to some childless guy who cares about movies and explain to you again why my old belief system is bad. We have a freaking series about it called Deprogram. Go watch it. Well, Carrie, I just want to be clear. Your your old belief system is only a problem when rich rich, uh, rich white actors are suffering at award ceremonies. But when it's applied to children, it's not really that big of a deal. So. Yeah, what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, it's just the next generation. Yeah, what's the big deal? Yeah. Okay, I'm so, thank you for allowing me, you guys, to vent. It was cathartic for me. I'm trying to get past this. You know, Carrie, I, you know, you and I obviously have a different perspective. I'm more of the curmudgeon and, and willing to write people off. But I, I will say uh, it's okay to be discriminating in, in terms of who you decide you need to save. You don't need to save everyone. And, you know, honestly, how old is this guy? Roughly. I think probably mid-30s, early okay. 40s. All right. Some dude in his mid-30s, early 40s who, whose life revolves around Hollywood award shows. Uh, he's in my category of irrelevant. So go after the parents who are going to care about yeah. this and do something like, you know, well, he sounds like I a loser. Said, well, that's why I said F off. This isn't for you. Leave. Yeah. Like, he's I just, have, I mean, I, I have, have a hard time actually 
given given what's going on in our culture today, personally, I have a hard time with anyone who's focused on frivolities. I like fun and frivolities sometimes. Like I like <laughs> watching movies, but like if your entire life is focused on something that's literally irrelevant, like you're just wasting. You're a waste of breath. I don't. I don't care to convince people like that. I, I just laugh because I remember you saying one of your catchphrases on the program. <laughs> Carter Carter said, "I like intermittent fun." <laughs> I did. I think I said I wasn't into frivolity, but I liked intermittent fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm secretly an android. <laughs> My intermittent yeah. front uh, interrupt happens once in a while, and I laugh. Oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. Okay, let me – I have to clarify something because I don't want this guy to leave here thinking I'm yelling at him. Denzel says, what's holding me back is that I'm a single dad of four. His business is targeted by boycotts and hate mail literally through the post because I signed a letter to a newspaper about Brexit. You are not a coward, Denzel. I am not talking about people like you and anybody listening and watching. And, and I get the fear. Like I said, that's why I – it held me back for a long time. I get it. And I, I absolutely, if I had kids, if I had a, a job that could be put in danger by doing this, that I wasn't willing to give up. Like I, there were many things that would, that I understandably would prevent me from doing this podcast. For example, everybody's got their own circumstances, their own life, their own things to figure out and, and how loud they can be and how loud they can't be. I'm talking about someone who, when I say coward, I'm talking about someone who knows what this is and is choosing to live in self-denial about it and pretend like it's not happening. Well, and argue and argue that it's not important, right? Because yes. the cowardly part, to me, the cowardly part, like I, I, agree, I agree with Carrie on Denzel, like there's plenty of people whose lives um, and livelihoods and children's livelihoods would be put in jeopardy if they revealed their wrong think. That doesn't make you a coward. That makes you a good dad. Um, you're trying to take care of your kids. In fact, sometimes I struggle with whether I'm a good parent or not because I've threatened my entire ability to earn income in the field that I've been in for 20 years. I'm a tech entrepreneur. I'm deep in Silicon Valley. I had been deep in Silicon Valley. This show has burned every possible employment bridge I could possibly have in Silicon Valley. And so uh, it's a risk to my family, frankly. But uh, maybe it's maybe it wasn't the right choice. I don't know. Uh, it's very important to me, so I'm doing it. But choosing choosing to make sure your family is protected doesn't make you a coward. What makes you a coward? This guy didn't even just ignore Carrie's post. He went after Carrie's post to try and belittle it and debunk the importance of it. So that's not even like, well, I'm too afraid to say anything. That's like I, I'm going to virtue signal by attacking this. Even though I actually know it's bad, I don't want people to I want people to see that I'm willing to attack it. Yeah. That's what's cowardly. That's exactly what's cowardly. It's like he would rather live in denial and occasionally come out of that little cocoon of denial and admit this what this is and then go then retreat back into it and when he's in it take the time to to try and I don't know if it's like to shore up his denial by arguing with you or what, but it's, but he's a person who knows better. That's why, that's why it's not like he doesn't know what this belief system is. Right. Right. And it's not just, he's going away saying, well, I'd talk about this and agree with Carrie, but I'm worried about my job. That's not what's happening. No, Um, he's pushing back openly. So he, I almost like, so he could be seen pushing back. I don't know. That, that's what I mean. He, he wants to yeah. virtue signal. He's showing other people that he can push back in this area because he feels uncomfortable with the fact that he 
knows it's evil and wants to fight it in his little domain over there. Yeah. But he he's, you know, that's not going to earn him a lot of friends. So he needs to try and win back their affection by fighting it in an area where he's hurting children, but he doesn't care about children because he doesn't have any. So, um, uh, but well, thank you, Jason M. By the way, Jason gave us five bucks, Carrie, and he says we should check out what Lauren Fox said on the BBC Question Time recently. Apparently, there's another celebrity who challenges wokeness, so I will check that out. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Jason. I yeah. um, while I was ranting, there was I missed I missed a lot of this. Uh, <laughs> Nit for Julie says she's going to say it's not my job to educate you. Here's a big difference, by the way, on that. That's a good point. SJWs say that a lot when they don't want to bother um, defending their opinions with argumentation. Um, and that's not what this was. I've we Our entire podcast is argumentation to defend my opinions on this. My essays are argumentation. And I get into it on a daily basis. I talk about this belief system and what it is and why I think it's evil. This was simply just being in that moment exasperated with like, dude, like I'm not, I don't have energy to play whatever this game is because it's not uh, honest engagement in my opinion. So, but you know, other days I do have energy to get in there, even with something like that. So, um, one other thing, I don't really understand. Elva Kara is asking a question, but I don't really understand what he's asking. He says, uh, how would a feminist react if you responded to her accusations of misogyny and chauvinism with unapologetic and in-your-face misogyny and chauvinism? Uh, I am asking because they use the accusations for control and just throwing it back like that seems like it would throw a wrench in. I'm not sure what the question is. Like, do you mean if they accuse someone of being sexist, you should just embrace it and be sexist towards them? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that can I can we end on a funnier yeah. note then? Because that yeah. reminds me of something that's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, Babylon B, you love the Babylon B, right, Carrie? I love the Babylon B. We all love the Babylon B. Well, uh, let me see if I can find it here. The Babylon B. So. Um, the editor uh, is a guy named by the name of Kyle Mann. And the Babylon Bee here, I'll, I'll pull this over onto the screen so people can see it. So uh, the Babylon Bee tweeted out uh, a, a story that said, in preparation for possible woman, pre woman president, White House staff begins loosening all jar lids. Obviously a joke, it's the Babylon Bee. So this woke karate guy is like, that feeling when you accidentally reveal you have no women on the writing staff, right? <laughs> so he's he's criticizing the Babylon B. Here's you want to see how the editor responded. Brilliant. Please. The editor writes back. We would love to hire more women writers, but sadly, one of our prerequisites for working at the Babylon B is that you can open a pickle jar. That's <laughs> so hilarious. That is hilarious. This reminds me of El Vaquero's question, which is question. He, this guy just embraced the. Uh, the accusation of sexism and went with it. <laughs> yeah, that is so funny. And by the way, that person's making a huge assumption. They have no idea that there's no female writers. They're basically saying a woman can't write that funny joke about the pickle jar. Why not? I don't know. And that the, okay. the actually later on in the thread, the editor's wife set, chimed in and said, uh, hey, I opened the jars at home or something like that. And the editor just replied, fake news. And she replied, uh, I don't know, something like, I don't know, fake news that matters or whatever. It was just, you know, <laughs> they're just being silly. <laughs> That's funny. So always be silly if you can, if you can just do that. Uh, it is an hey, epic so troll. That's true. 
So people are asking about um, view counts and stuff, and Maria says she has a hard time believing YouTube isn't hiding our channel from people who don't specifically search for it. I I believe that as well. I, we know the yeah. algorithm is manipulated, um, and uh, that we, you know, it's not just us. There's a ton, they, this was with their latest TOS. They basically made it hard to find videos, even when you know the name of the video. They're going to return stuff from what they call authoritative. That's their word, YouTube's word authoritative sources, which makes me giggle because it sounds like authoritarian, which they are, but it's like they return, <laughs> they return results from CNN and MSNBC when you're looking for something like uh, Paul Joseph Watson or, you know, so you, you could be looking for some conservative YouTuber and they're like, did you mean CNN? No, I didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. So weird. Yeah. But um, something you guys can do to help is to share the videos, of course, and while you're here, if you want to scroll over to the left and click the like button, that'll help. Um, and then if you want to, uh, uh, if you're not already subscribed, you should subscribe to the channel. And then if you want to contribute financially, you can do so at subscribestar.com and you can contribute whatever you want. Um, so yep. that helps a lot. Yeah. And, and, uh, I don't, I don't know. People can can let us know but i always put on the alert thing so you should be alerted when we're going to go live um so if you're not getting alerts that's probably youtube's fault as well um so you should be getting alerts and uh you know maybe we'll try and think about ways to to make it more clear when we're when we're going to be around so that people don't miss it because i know sometimes I, we do the alerts and people say they didn't get them or whatever um but yeah obviously we're probably being censored by youtube or shadow banned in some way. All right, Carrie, anything else you want to chat about? This was a long one today. I don't know that we need to really chat about anything else. I've got other uh, mm -mm. topics, no, I like but I think this... we kind of, we covered everything and, and it's long, so. No, I like that this was focused. And again, if you're a parent and you're just now watching this, um, however much in the future it is that you're coming across this video and watching it, send us an email at speak at unsafespace.com. Let us know what's happening at your kid's school. Um, we would be very interested in knowing. Yep. And we, we, and we will in some way connect you with other parents as well. So. Alrighty. Well, thanks for watching everyone. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And uh, if you want to go to unsafebase.com and sign up for our newsletter, which has never actually gone out. So don't worry, you're not going to get spam. We might send newsletters once in a while, but we never have. Um, that'll be a good way for you to find out where we go when we get banned completely from YouTube or, or whatever. So, Thanks again for watching, and we will see you on, I guess we have another live Covfefe on Monday, so we'll see you then.